the fifteenth day for the holy souls in purgatory, which is a day of prayer for the souls who are richest in merit. And that may seem surprising, but stay with me for the meditation. If you can procure by suffrages the release of this soul, that is the soul who's at the highest point of purgatory, the richest in merits, you ensure to yourself an advocate with God so much the more powerful as this advocate is richer in grace and merit. What a source of consolation it should be for us that we belong to a church whose solicitude for all her children extends far beyond the limits of the present life. A church that, after closing our eyes in this world, will continue her interest for us in the life to come and never interrupt her supplications until assured that we are in the enjoyment of eternal happiness. How sad and cold must be the belief that can see nothing beyond the grave, which thinks that all is over when the lifeless body has been consigned to the tomb. How worthy of pity are those who thus weep without hope and who, in receiving the last sight of an expiring friend, think that they are bidding him an eternal farewell. But for us who know that death is but the passage to another and a better world, who expect that we shall meet again in eternity those from whom we have been separated in time, how consoling it is to feel that the love of which we were never weary of giving them proofs here below may be shown much more efficaciously now and that too, not by costly tributes of affection, not by erecting lofty monuments, which flatter the vanity of the living rather than contribute to the relief of the dead, but by praying for them, by offering to heaven in their behalf the pleasing sacrifice of our good works. Among Christian virtues, St. Paul tells us that charity is the greatest, and charity is exercised in its highest degree when we add aid the poor sufferers in purgatory, many of whom perhaps are suffering there for sins we cause them to commit. It is undoubtedly a great charity to relieve those suffering from corporeal necessities, to feed the hungry, to clothe those exposed to cold and nakedness, and to visit the sick cast helpless on their bed of pain. But the object of these Christian ministrations is the body, while that at which we aim by our pious suffrages for the departed is the soul. And insomuch as the soul is above the body, so far also does charity toward the souls in purgatory exceed in merit that which we bestow on the living. When we relieve the misery of the neighbor, we are most frequently moved thereto by natural feelings of pity and compassion. The sight of a fellow being in distress strikes the senses and touches the heart, so that we cannot, as it were, refuse to help him. In relieving the souls in purgatory, on the contrary, nothing appeals directly to the senses. The soul is purified from all merely earthly motives and emotions, and our charity towards them becomes altogether spiritual. Its merit is proportionately higher, and this should move us to the exercise of charity in their regard with so much the greater zeal. If God, by a special revelation, were to make known to any one of us that an immortal soul is indebted to him for the hastening of its hour of eternal bliss. With what faith would he not invoke the protection of this new saint of heaven?
with what confidence would he not recommend himself to his intercession? This consolation is within the reach of each and every one of us. For though we may not know whose, those whose exile we have shortened, yet we may feel confident that they, seeing all things in God, both know and are mindful of their deliverers. No necessity of addressing them as Joseph of old addressed the servant of Pharaoh. Remember me when it shall be well with thee, because a soul admitted to the enjoyment of eternal happiness is incapable of being unfaithful to any obligation. We read in the life of St. Monica that feeling her last hour at hand, she sent for St. Augustine and thus addressed him, My son, I know that I shall soon be no more, but when I am gone, pray for the repose of my soul. Do not forget me who have loved you so dearly. Especially think of me when you are at the altar and about to offer the holy sacrifice. St. Augustine, bathed in tears, made the required promise, and after his mother's edifying death, he never ceased to intercede for her. God of mercy, he exclaimed in his sorrow, forgive my mother the faults which she may have committed. Enter not into judgment with her. Turn aside thy eyes from her sins. Remember that on the point of expiring, she thought not of the honors which should be paid to her lifeless corpse. She asked only that she should not be forgotten at thy altar, in order that any stains of sin which might not have been expiated during her life should be washed away. Supplications like these, we may confidently expect, will be offered up for us also, if we have secured for ourselves intercessors at the last solemn hour. In like manner will our souls too be refreshed by the salutary dew of prayer. And if for the souls of our brethren we have imposed any privations or sacrifices upon ourselves, they will be repaid with interest. For if to give to the poor is to lend to the Lord, what is it to give relief to the souls of our brethren suffering under the avenging stroke of God's justice? St. Gertrude, whose feast the Church celebrates today, had great zeal in praying for the suffering souls. Actually, it celebrates tomorrow, uh, November the 16th. Had great zeal in praying for the suffering souls. On one occasion, while Mass was being offered for a person of her acquaintance who had died a short time before, the saint recited five paters in honor of our Lord's five wounds for the repose of her soul. And moved by divine inspiration, she offered all her good works for the increase of the beatitude of this person. When she had made this offering, she immediately beheld the soul in heaven in the place destined for her, and the throne prepared for her was elevated as far above the place where she had been as the highest throne of the seraphim is above that of the lowest angel. The saint then asked our Lord how this soul had been worthy to obtain such advantage from her prayers, and he replied, she has merited this grace in three ways. First, because she always had a sincere will and perfect desire of serving me in religious life, if it had been possible. Secondly, because she had a special regard for all religious and all good people. Thirdly, because she was always ready to honor me by performing any service she could for them. She added, you may judge by the sublime rank to which she is elevated, 
how agreeable these practices are to me. Next, a certain religious died who had always been accustomed to pray very fervently for the poor souls in purgatory. But she had failed in the perfection of obedience, preferring her own will to that of her superior in her fasts and vigils. After her death, she appeared to St. Gertrude, adorned with rich ornaments, but so weighed down by a heavy burden which she was obliged to carry that she could not approach to God, though many persons were endeavoring to lead her to him. As St. Gertrude marveled at this vision, she was taught that the persons who endeavored to conduct the soul to God were souls whom she had released by her prayers. But this heavy burden indicated the faults she had committed against obedience. Then our Lord said, Behold how those grateful souls endeavor to free her from the requirements of my justice and show these ornaments. Nevertheless, she must suffer for her faults of disobedience and self-will. The saint saw that although the soul suffered much, she was consoled and assisted by those, those whom she had released and by the prayers of the faithful. After this, our Lord showed St. Gertrude the path by which souls ascend to heaven. It resembled a straight plank, a little inclined, so that those who ascended did so with difficulty. They were assisted and supported by hands on either side, which indicated the prayers offered for them. Those who were assisted by the angels had a great advantage, as these blessed spirits repelled the dragons who flew around, endeavoring to prevent their progress. The religious who had lived under obedience were assisted by a kind of railing, placed at each side of this plank, so that they were both supported and protected from falling. In some places these railings were removed as a punishment to those superiors who had failed to govern their subjects by the rules of obedience. But all the souls who had been truly obedient were assisted and supported by the angels who removed every impediment from their path. A person who had rendered great services to St. Gertrude's monastery, being in his agony, the saint being engrossed in some pressing occupation, admitted to pray for him. On hearing of his death, she reproached herself for her neglect of one who had always been kind to her community and earnestly besought our Lord to reward him abundantly according to the multitude of his mercies. Our Lord vouchsafed to reply to her, I have rewarded him for his services in three ways. In answer to the prayers of the congregation, sorry, in three ways in answer to the prayers of his congregation, of the congregation. First, from his natural benevolence, he took the greatest pleasure in conferring favors on others, and I have renewed in him all this pleasure for each act of kindness that he performed. I have also accumulated in his soul all the joy and gratification which he obtained for others by these acts of benevolence, such as giving a child a toy, a poor person a penny, a sick person some fruit, or any other relief. And lastly, I have made him rejoice exceedingly on account of the approbation which I have manifested for these actions, and I will soon supply all that he needs to attain perfect happiness. So realize that even the tiniest good thing of giving a toy to a child or a piece of fruit to someone who's poor, all these things will remain with the grace of God in eternity.